The Seeker's Invasion Part 1 Today on Secrets He Explained, there is something traveling at super speeds that's hurtling through the asteroid belt. Three days ago, this image was taken before NASA took the satellite offline. For repairs. The image being shown on the iPad screen was black and white and a little grainy. The object the narrator was pointing was oblong and blurry, larger than the surrounding asteroids it was traveling through. The narrator continued to speak. Based on an anonymous source within the SETI Institute at the Carl Sagan Center, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Project, states this object has begun to slow as it approaches the inner solar system. According to specialists who calculated its velocity and trajectory this object should be viewable with household telescopes in tonight's skies. So folks keep a close eye out tonight. And if you see anything or hear anything make sure to comment below. The truth is out there. And as always, if this video was informative for those things the government doesn't want you to know, please like and sub the video paused as Thomas Doyle who tapped the screen. Thomas or T, as his family referred to him, was a late 20s white male who worked as a research analyst for a law firm, but his true passions of research were in the sciences and ancient history. The French glass doors to his office swung open as T's husband, Lee, stepped into the office. Hey, your parents are here and they are giving us their TV before the move south. Lee told him with a bit of annoyance in his voice. Lee, a tall thin Asian male, a few years older than T, was the head doctor at the local hospital and highly respected among his peers and the community. We don't need another TV. T replied, rolling his eyes and getting to his feet. Well, Tom seems to think he can mount it in the garage over your woodworking station. Lee explained as they walked out of the office into the hallway. Their home was a lovely modest home, newly built about five years ago, a mixture of mid-century modern and high-tech ultra-modern style. You know, I was watching this video just now, and with all the other stuff I've been hearing I think we need to, one of their cats, Socks, ran past as the back door to the garage opened. Hello, hello, hello. Get your clothes on. Your parents are here. T's mom, Mary Beth, yelled jokingly as she slowly and dramatically opened the door. Her free hand covered her eyes as if to shield herself from seeing anything she ought not to see. T and Lee exchanged looks, then, putting smiles on their faces, approached the kitchen. Hi ma. Hey mom. They both said at the same time. Hi boys. I hope we didn't interrupt anything. She smirks. Mary Beth, a short woman with classy attire, came in and climbed up into the barstool at the kitchen island. Now, don't be mad. But, your father thinks you can use our TV in the garage. But if you don't want it just accidentally drop it. I was going to throw it away after the auction anyways, but you know how Tom is. She said with a grin. Mary Beth and Tom had recently retired and were headed south, where they just purchased a new home on a golf course. Did you see that secrets he explained video? T asked. Mary Beth nodded. Yes. It did look as if it was slowing down. T continued. It had been she that got him into conspiracy theories years ago, so he figured she had seen it. Yeah, maybe it's like that cigar asteroid from a few years. What was it called? It had a weird name. She asked. Umwamua. Lee replied. Right, I think it's like that. Mary Beth said pounding the possibilities. They were all gathered around the kitchen island. The second smaller cat. Lily, jumped up on the counter, and Mary Beth absentmindedly pets her. Tom opened the door about that moment, and in a dash, Lily was gone. T get out here and help me with this thing. You're getting a free TV, you can at least help carry off the truck. Tom told him. Tom, late 50s, average height and build, with a once fit body, and now due to aging, and probably one too many beers, a gut was starting to show. They all went outside, 
T and Tom got up into the bed of the truck and scooted the large flat screen TV to the tailgate. T jumps down, and they lift the TV. Right as Tom goes to step down with the TV hand, everyone's phones go off with the emergency alert notification tone. T drops the TV with a crash. God damn it. T. Tom yelled with a few muttering words under his breath. T ignoring him, grabs at his phone in his pocket. As did Lee and Mary Beth who was watching. The emergency alert notification reads. Please advise, multiple unknown aerial crafts, UAC, have entered the USA airspace. Seek shelter immediately. Gather all water and food. Please stay off the road. This is a declaration of emergency. Do not engage with UAC. Do not resist orders from military, police, or emergency personnel. Should cellular communications go down. Use an analog AM slash FM radio to seek emergency information. More info to follow. Godspeed. Before T could finish reading the emergency alert, another notification popped up on his phone. It was a Twitter live video from one of his friends in Washington, D.C., a journalist stationed at the Capitol building. T tapped the notification, the app opened, and began to play the live feed. The video showed a shaking street view of Washington, D.C. The man holding the camera, with his face in the foreground, was slightly yelling over a loud droning hum coming from all around as people screamed, and cars zoomed past. Standing just outside the Russell Senate offices on the corner of Delaware and Constitution Avenue where we all were just told to, oh, God. What is that thing? More screams could be heard as the reporter tapped his screen, flipping the camera to show the building across the street. The United States Capitol building could be seen in the distance as people ran past, while several military Humvees drove up onto the lawn and walkway. Just as a giant metal structure emerged out of the clouds over the U.S. Capitol building. Folks, it looks like a giant, Jesus, a giant robot bug has just flown in and landed on the National Mall just outside the Capitol building. The reporter yelled over the noise. The loud droning hum was coming from the machine. The hum quieted as it landed on the lawn. The reporter's description was spot on, the robotic craft had a similar shape and style to that of a rare bug called Ambonia crassicornis, better known as the thorn bug. The upper body was made up of shiny metal panels that, in the right light, were an off-blue color, but looked primarily black in today's sunlight. These panels rose to form a pointed triangular shell, casting an ominous shadow over his scene. The lower half, including the legs, were all gray. Though bug-like in appearance, the legs had gears for joints, with giant bolts holding them in place, plus wires, tubes, and piping wrapped around the underbody. The guns mounted on the military Humvees began to fire but did no damage to this machine insect-looking robot. The legs of the machine moved like a spider. It turned to face the Capitol building and the Humvees that were summoned to protecting it and those still inside. Unfortunately, the size of the machine was unfathomable and they made no difference. The top of the Capitol building, where the Statue of Freedom stood strong, could fit quite comfortably under the machine. The front of it where the eyes would be on a thorn bug slid inward with a loud hiss to reveal what appeared to be a tunnel. The Humvees gunmen stopped shooting, the people running from the building and along the street stopped to look in wonder. It appears a door of some sort has opened, are we about to see those inside? Maybe they come in peace. The reporter's words hung in the air as the back of the tunnel began to glow bright orange like fire, then rapidly turning to white as the light traveled up the tunnel, and just before the light left the tunnel's opening on the face of the machine, it turned a brilliant blue. The machine insect swung its body toward the Humvees as a blue laser fired out, cutting into the ground and concrete. As the blue laser traveled over the Humvees, the vehicles exploded. The troops and the gunmen attempt to jump off to save themselves, but the beam was too powerful, and not even the dust from their bones would ever hit the ground. 
Before the last of the beam left its source, it cut through the doom of the US Capitol building shattering and melting the newly restored Iron Dome. And before the laser dissipated it had traveled across the street, vaporizing all in its path, including the reporter. Live feet disconnected appeared on the screen. T looked up from his phone, Lee, Mary Beth, and Tom all stood next to him, still looking down at his phone. This ha has to be a, has to be a hoax. Some type of promo for a movie or or Lee's words were drowned out by a loud droning hum coming from in the distance. Everyone get in the truck. Quick! Tom yelled with urgency in his voice. They all go to move toward the truck, all but T who on the other hand, ran into the house, jumping up to grab the cat carrier from the top shelf, that was just above the door leading to the kitchen. You've got to be kidding me! Lee yelled and ran after him. As Lee made a left down the hallway, T could be seen shoving socks into the carrier. We have to go. You saw what that thing did to the Capitol. Lee pleaded. I can't find Lily. Help me. T begged. Lee looking irritated but went to look under the bed in their master bedroom. Boys we need to leave. Tom thinks we can hide up in the old lodge. We got water and snacks. Come on. Mary Beth could be heard yelling from the back door. Babe she's under the bed. I can't reach her. Lee yelled. T ran inside and just flipped the mattress, breaking the lamp on the far side nightstand. He grabbed Lily, she squirmed not understanding what was happening. She scratched his wrist and hands, but he managed to put her inside the carrier with socks. Now can we go? Lee demanded. Tom was blowing the horn at them, they both ran. The cats were meowing and hissing the whole way. They all piled into Tom's truck, an extended cab with four doors. Tom floored it as the last door was being pulled shut peeling out of their driveway onto the street. The road leading out of the suburbs was pandemonium. People were running across the street, some idiots were standing out with their phones recording the machines emerging from the sky. Another car was backing out as Tom sped past, he clipped the bumper and swore loudly. Bald-headed bastard. He said under his breath. Turning onto a new road, that was just as crazy as the last but had more cars trying to scramble to safety. No one was listening to the emergency alert. Tom, being a risk-taker in his younger days, sharply turns the wheel. Hang on. Tom yells as the truck lurches onto the sidewalks. The cats let out a loud meow as Tom plows down the fencing of the backwards leading out of the housing development. After taking down three sets of fencings, and a blow-up pool, the truck takes one final leap into an abandoned cornfield. In the far distance, over the tree line, the top half of yet another machine insect could be seen landing and walking toward its left to a structure not visible to them. That's over near the power plant along the river. Right? Mary Beth pointed out. About that same time, there was a loud explosion as black smoke billowed up near the machine. What do they want? Lee pondered out loud as he was huddled down with his finger in the cat carrier, attempting to calm the cats. It could be anything. Our resources, slave labor, the planet. Or D all of the above. T replied. It's probably some other country trying to make it look like an alien attack to cover their tracks. It's probably the, Tom's last words were drowned out by a loud droning hum from overhead, followed by another machine insect landing in the same cornfield as them. Tom took a sharp left, climbing the embankment, and got up onto the road. But the machine insect didn't seem to pay them any attention. Instead, it reared back like it was preparing to jump. However, its legs began to extend, doubling in height. Then it looked directly down at the groan. The ice plate coverings retracted, revealing the laser tunnel just like the one did in DC. What's it doing? T watched, recording the action on his phone. The laser began to fire into the center of the cornfield. 
Dirt and debris blasted into the air, some were boulder sizes flying every which way, some even hit the machine, but it continued to fire directly into the ground. Look up there. Lee pointed out. Tom and Mary Beth leaned forward to look out the windshield. What looked like shooting stars, were hundreds of the machines streaking across sky, some dropping to the ground. Others were firing their blue lasers at objects those on the ground could not see, but then small explosions appeared at the end of the lasers as if they had hit something. Are they firing on airplanes? Mary Beth said in horror. They? Tom took a sharp left, speeding up an old road that hadn't been paved in decades. The road was more gravel than asphalt. Looks like others have been here. We may have a packed house up here. Tom stated to no one in particular. He was correct. Fresh tracks led up the mountain to the old lodge that overlooked the entire valley. T was on his phone and saw post after post of the machine insects landing worldwide. London, Paris, Beijing, Moscow, Rome, Baghdad, some were even diving into the oceans as people on cruise ships and fishing trolleys posted videos. It's the entire world. T said softly. We looked over at him. What happened to Space Force, NASA? Hell, Reagan's Star Wars program. I mean why didn't Elon Musk detect this with all of his 50 million satellites? No one gave us a warning. No one. Our government is useless. Regardless of party or ideology they are all just in it for the money, and the power and just fuck the people. T said in anger, a tear fell from his eye. Lee gave a soft, sympathetic smile and grabbed T's hand. With his other hand he reached up and wiped away the tear. The world may change and we even may die, but just know until we are dust in the wind I love you. Lee whispered in his ear, kissing him softly on the cheek. T fell silent, as did Lee, both just watching out the window as Tom drove continuously up the old abandoned driveway. The machine insects had not come onto the mountain, yet. For at the base of the mountain, two more machine insects stood in the cornfield with the original one, and they too rose up and shot their blue lasers into the ground. Must be others up here the gate has been moved. He said, starting to slow down, turning up a dirt road with grass growing in the middle. At the top of dirt road a massive lodge could be seen, vines grew up the side, boards covered some windows, the place was only a shell of its former glory. A once prized destination for anyone to get out of the city and escape life for the weekend or the entire summer, families of politicians, prominent businessmen, anyone who was someone would vacation at the Mountain Ridge Lodge and Resort. The summer of 1954 was a tough summer for the lodge as owner was found dead, by apparent suicide, dangling from the rafters of the main hall. Upon investigation, the police had discovered 12 bodies of children with varying degrees of trauma before death all at the hands of the owner. Over the decades, the numbers have been exaggerated to hundreds of children, but it was just ever 12 kids that had gone missing on the mountain from the 40s and early 50s. Rumors had floated about in the valley towns about what the lodge was hiding with all of these kids going missing every few summers. These rumors never made it out of the valley. But once it was confirmed, the lodge's reputation was lost. Prominent people and politicians stopped vacationing there from DC and New York. They could not bear to have such a scandal be associated with them even in the smallest of terms. Several new owners tried to revive it to its glory days over the neighboring decades, but it was officially abandoned in the 1970s. For several generations, this abandoned lodge was a refuge for thrill-seeking adolescents, squatters, paranormal enthusiasts, and the like, all traveled to the lodge. But in the early 90s, the land was purchased, gates and fencing were erected, and the local cops routinely patrolled the entrance and road leading up the mountain to make sure it remained left alone. 
Rumor has it that some hedge fund company purchased it for tax purposes but paid the local city police to run off anyone trespassing to prevent frivolous lawsuits from disrupting their investment. But with the world ending, an abandoned building with over a hundred rooms was a great place to hide from whatever was going on with this invasion. Tom led the way to the front doors of the lodge as if he was giving a tour. I used to sneak up here all the time as a teen, with Bill and the gang, stirring up shit, smoke a little weed and smash some windows. Tom said, looking up at the main window above the doors. Most of the glass was gone. Thomas. You shouldn't say such a thing. Mary Beth said in a hushed tone as if someone might overhear. Oh piss Mary it's legal now. No one gives a shit. Tom replied. Boys stop lollygaging and let's get inside, hard to tell if any of those things are going to come. Mary Beth yelled over at T and Lee. They were standing at the end of the lodge's front porch looking over the cliffs view down at the machine's insects that were still firing their lasers directly into the cornfield, while others in the distance caused destruction and mayhem. They turned their gaze and followed T's parents inside the lodge. The lodge looked as you'd expect, dark, dank, and smelled of decay. The windows that weren't boarded up had let decades of tree leaves, and critters inside, graffiti, curse words, and images of crudely drawn genitalia lined the walls. Among the debris on the floor, spray-painted pagan symbols were among broken beer bottles, old stained mattress in the corners, along with drug paraphernalia were lying about. Touch nothing boys. Mary Beth said, spotting the syringes. Mom, we are 30 not 3. T replied flatly, Lee slightly smirked at this standing behind them. It was quiet inside, as if what was happening outside the lodge was not even an issue. They all continued to follow Tom. Where are you taking us? T asked his dad as they turned from the foyer through some double doors. We can hide out in the dinning hall. There's only one picture window and one exit door. Very fortifiable, we would have to barricade these doors to second Tom was explaining as he pushed open the doors. Then without warning, something big and brown tackled Tom to the ground. A lot of flailing about, and grunts came from the attacker. Ernie? Mary Beth yelled, noticing the man in Carhartt overalls and a green flannel button-up. The big man stopped attacking Tom and looked up. Although attacking is a strong word, it was more like two retirees wrestling on the floor with their eyes closed. Mary Beth? Then Ernie looked down at the man beneath him, he had just tackled. Tom? You some bitch, get off me! Tom yelled. At that moment, the doors to the dining hall swung open again, and a short, plump woman with stereotypical curly old woman hair, holding a large metal ladle like a baseball bat, appeared in the threshold. Sue? Mary Beth? Tom and Ernie started to laugh, as did their wives. Lee looked confused looking over at T. T rolled his eyes in amusement, stepping forward. Han you remember Ernie and Miss Sue from our wedding. They gave us the bread maker. Remember? T explained, giving Lee the eye to play along. Catching T's gaze and facial expression Lee attempted to recover his confusion. Oh. Oh yes. Hi. Yeah, we use it all the time, thank you. I remember now. Lee said, not obvious at all. Sue beamed at him with a smile. Yes queen. Sue said in a playful, very high-pitched girly voice. Ernie, on the other hand, didn't look at Lee but instead looked at the spot on the wall just above Lee's head. Yeah, I bet you do. Ernie said flatly. Anyways, what you doing up here? Tom asked. Ernie's demeanor changed instantly. Same as you I figure. Hiding from those space monsters. Ernie replied. Tom and Ernie began to walk into the dining hall, the rest of them followed. So, those were your tracks we followed up here then? Tom stated. Nope. 
the gate and those tracks were here when we came up, we were only here maybe 10 minutes before you. Maybe someone else is here and they are up in the bedrooms upstairs hiding out. But I parked around back and didn't see any vehicles, though. Hard to tell. Ernie shrugged, they continued to talk, as did Mary Beth and Sue. T and Lee were last to enter the dining room, lagging behind to not be forced to join into their conversations. T leaned over to his husband and whispered. Of all the people we have to spend the end of the world with, it had to be the homophobe and the fag hag wannabe. Right? Lee replied with an eye roll. Once they all entered, they noticed Ernie and Sue's family were sitting at the tables next to the picture window overlooking the cliff, the small town, the suburbs, and the cornfield, which now housed a total of four machine insects shooting their lasers into the cornfield could all be seen from this view. Three small children, a teen boy, and their parents, Ernie's sonage, Ernie Jr., and his wife, Kaylee. Kaylee was holding the youngest as it cried into her shoulder. The rest just sat there in stunned, shocked silence, watching the machines down below. If we make it out of here alive I owe you a fence. I had to drive through it to get up here. Tom told Ernie. Ernie laughed, patting Tom on the back. Tell you what, if we make it out of this, and we still have homes to go to, you can just keep it a secret that I borrowed the generator from the firehouse. Ernie said, putting air quotes up with his fingers when he said, borrowed. Speaking of. I can't find the fuse box to wire it in. Didn't it used to be in the cleaning crew's old quarters behind the front desk? Ernie inquired. No, no, I think it was in the kitchen. Tom replied. Were all you country boys troublemakers back in the day? Mary Beth asked, amused. Hell yeah. Mary. Nothing else to do in corn country. Ernie joked with a big bark of a laugh. Dad, do you have to joke at a time like this? The kids are scared. Edge pipped up, glaring at his father. Now, kids there is nothing to be scared of, this is all a part of God's plan. Remember he doesn't give us any more than we can handle. Ernie said, in a softer, reassuring voice, kneeling to be eye to eye with his grandchildren sitting on the bench. Here let's pray for his guidance. Sue suggested putting her ladle down on the table. You all care to join us? Ernie said, looking only at Tom and Mary Beth. Lee snorted behind them. T folded in his lips to hit back a grin. Uh, we will be over here, we need to take care of these cats. T said, tugging on his husband's elbow in earnest. Ernie looked furious but only for a moment. They all joined hands as T and Lee went to the opposite side of the room with the still meowing cats. Well, one was, Socks had given up and just curled up at the back of the cat carrier and was asleep. T set the carrier on top of the counter where the register would have been 60 some years prior. Don't they know the proof of aliens is just more evidence their fairy tales are nothing more than a myth, created by people who thought Earth was the entire universe. Lee whispered with frustration in his voice. I know, Han, but we live in America where most people in their generation believe it as the gospel truth. Literally. And if these are our last moments I don't want to fight about what happens next when we are all dead. So, you need to bite my tongue. T whispered back, frustration etched in every syllable of his words. Lee gave him a look. Don't get snippy with me bitch. Lee retorted, no longer attempting to whisper. T clenched his jaw and sighed. Sorry, sweetheart. I'm just on edge, and frustrated at the gov, Lily no. T had opened the door to the cat carrier as he said this, and Lily had darted out onto the floor and through the swing doors to the kitchen. T followed after her. Shit. Lee yelled, chasing after them both. Socks slowly stepped out of the cat carrier, stretched his front legs, and yawned. He began to lick himself with not a care in the world where he was. One of the little kids who hadn't had his eyes shut during prayer yelled. 
Kitty. And broke away from the prayer circle, ran over and picked up Socks, cradling him. Socks began to purr. T chased Lily, with Lee on his heels. She darted around the pile of trash in the kitchen, some overturned prep tables. Banging in some kitchen instruments that laid on the floor, stopping just long enough to hiss at them. It was dark in there, as the kitchen had no windows. Both T and Lee pulled out their phones, turning on the flashlight. Lily. Lily Ann get back here. T yelled. Lee rolled his eyes. Yeah because she's so going to listen. Lee retorted in annoyance, more with T than at Lily at this point. They shinned their lights around the kitchen. It appeared that there was nothing for her to hide behind or under, but somehow she was gone. Come on. Let's get back, when she gets hungry or wants attention she'll find us. Lee said reassuringly, rubbing T's back. There. T exclaimed, pointing his flashlight to the other side of the room. A piece of plywood had been propped up against the wall, and there, in the corner of the wood was Lily sitting there licking her bushy tail back to normal. Lily, T whispered, she looked up directly into the light. Ignoring him, she puts her bottom leg over her head and begins to lick like this was all normal. Damn cats. T hissed under his breath. They walked over to her, she didn't move, but as T bent over to pick her up, she rolled over and darted into a blackened doorway hidden by the plywood. Jesus. Lee sighed in frustration. They moved the piece of wood to reveal not another room but a staircase leading down into more darkness. Spooky. T laughed. Come on, let's go get her. Lee told him, not amused. They began to walk down the stone steps cautiously. Almost at the bottom, T threw out his arm to stop Lee. Shh. What? Lee asked a little panic in his voice expecting a rodent or bug of some sorts. But instead there was a small squeak. That. They paused to listen again. Lily? T asked the blackness. They continued down to the bottom, shinning their lights around. They found themselves inside the old wine cellar. Behind several rows of wine shelving, toward the backside of the room, they noticed a faint glow. As they approached, making their way through the aisles of empty wine shelves, they spotted Lily. She was chasing a red laser dot on the floor. What the? T said, abandoning all caution as he runs over. Thomas. Lee loudly whispered, then he too followed but with more caution. As T approached Lily, the light source was revealed, stopping him in his tracks. He looked at the sight before him in amazement. Lee ran into him, not noticing that T had stopped so abruptly. He, too, was mesmerized at the sight before them. I don't think this is part of the lodge. Lee said in astonishment, gripping T's arm. Across from them, underneath a small floodlight mounted to the ceiling, was a massive shiny metallic door. Well, not a door exactly but a nuclear blast door. The door was easily 20 feet long and 12 feet high. The hinges alone were 3 feet thick, made of reinforced steel. On the opposite side of the hinges was a small touchpad screen mounted just above a turn wheel, similar to those on vault doors. This entire door had to be a new addition because the brick on the cellar walls had been cut out, haphazardly and only half of the remaining brick wall had graffiti on it, but the other half was cut away to make room for the installation of this massive door. Lily let out another squeak as she pounced playfully on the red laser dot that was moving left to right at a steady pace on the floor just at the light's edge where T and Lee stood, still in shadow. Lee pointed up at its source. T pried his eyes upwards from this jarring display of engineering to notice a camera mounted just below the floodlight that was panning back and forth with a laser sight mounted to it. But the alarming part of this was just below the camera. A military-grade weapon, a cross between an R-15 and a turret was panning with a laser sight and camera. Government? Lee whispered. T looked over at him. 
a top secret lab or bunker in the mountains of a redneck country town. Yeah, that sounds like the American government alright. T replied, cynicism dripping from every word. Stay here. T said and went to let go of Lee. No, what the hell, dude. It's a cat. What if it shoots automatically Lee pleaded clinging to his arm tighter. If it shot automatically she would be dead already. And no. I'm getting her. Then we are leaving, and if they shoot me. You run. Run upstairs and get the rest of them. They can't shot us all. He ordered, then moved out of Lee's grip. Lee looked skeptical and scared, being from a country that would shoot down its own citizens without a second thought to maintain order and keep their secrets, he had zero faith that other countries wouldn't do the same. T kisses Lee quickly, moving swiftly over the light's threshold from the darkness of the cellar into light. As T stepped into the light, Lily stopped playing looking at him. She flashed those big old cute eyes, and meows, she was so happy to see him, like this whole thing was a game. Lily. Come here pretty girl. T commanded but in a sing-songy voice to coax her closer. He took another step forward, not breaking eye contact with Lily. She moves toward him at her own lazy pace. She rubs her head against his ankle and begins to purr. He bends down to scoop her up. As he did so, the red laser dot followed Lily's movement up into his arms. He cradled her like a baby, petting her belly, not noticing, at first, the red laser dot dancing around his chest. As he looked up in fear at the camera, the laser sight steadied with direct aim on his heart. End of part 1. Next time on The Seeker's Invasion. Who or what is behind the hidden door? Will the machine insects destroy all life on Earth? What or who are the invaders? And what do they want from Earth? Stay tuned for the next publication of The Seeker's Invasion Part 2. If you are listening on podcast, subscribe to get the next episode loaded to your playlist. Follow for updates on tadriley.com. Copyright 2021 by Tad J. Riley.